If you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you this morning to open and turn with me to the book of Haggai. I realize it's not your typical Christmas Eve passage, not your typical Advent passage. If you need to know where it is, find the New Testament, find the book of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, take a left and go back three books, and then you'll find the small, slender book of Haggai. The reason we're in Haggai this morning was because all month long we have been looking at the promises of God through the prophets and through the minor prophets in particular, the minor prophets being minor simply because of the length of their prophecies, not because of the importance of what they said. Promises that the prophets gave hundreds and hundreds of years before the coming of Jesus in a stable in Bethlehem. And yet prophecies that ultimately find their fulfillment in Him. More than anything this morning, we need Jesus. We need more than a cute story. As I've said, we need a solid Savior to lean on. And that's true this day more than any other Sunday this month, I suspect. And so I wrestled quite a bit over the last 24 hours whether to divert from my originally planned passage and sermon, which is Haggai. But since it has the Jesus that we need, and I didn't have a whole lot of time either, we're going to stay here. And I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit will use this as He intends it to be used this morning. It's not a sermon about Ten Ways to Process Your Grief. It's a sermon about Jesus. Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 9 and 20 through 23 is our passage. You'll see it on the screen behind me. I encourage you to follow along if you're able. It's our tradition here at Ascension for you to stand for the reading of God's Word. So if you'd stand with me as I read, follow along. This is God's Holy Word. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoizadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that all the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. 
Jumping down to verse 20, the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the thrones of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the nations and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring. For I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Go and be seated. This week is one where we have been brutally reminded that things are not as they should be. As the psalmist says, as for man, his days are like grass. Even this week, tomorrow, Tomorrow morning, you'll be reminded with all the thoughtful presents, some of them expensive, their shine, their their newness, their allure, it will eventually fade. And some of it will fade rather quickly. I can't even remember half of the things that I received just a year ago from those closest to me. You see, we long for things that last, don't we? Whether that be material things, but especially, of course, relationships, marriages, families. The reality of our lives is that our lives are full of disappointment. Or we might say, life always longs for something better. That's where our passage begins this morning. And that is the valley that our passage leads us out of. You see, God's people that are being spoken to here by the prophet Haggai, they were sorting through, wrestling with their own bit of disappointment. Let me explain. It's the 6th century B.C. 50 years earlier, God's People had been overcome by their enemies. They had been carted off to a foreign land in exile. And a whole generation had been raised there. But now they had the opportunity to return to the land God had given them. The land that God had promised them. A land flowing with milk and honey. But some just weren't interested in returning. They had carved a nice life for themselves in Babylon. They had raised their kids there and they didn't want to return. It was all they had ever known. And so they were staying put. But others, others left full of anticipation, full of expectation, full of promise and hope about what the future would hold about what the restoration of God's people in the land that God had given them would be about. They had heard the stories of what was once. But if it was glory that they were expecting, they were sorely disappointed. Because when they returned, the temple, the magnificent temple, place of God's presence lay in ruins. It was nothing like it was. 
Nothing like they had heard about. And so Yahweh sends Haggai. He sends Haggai to them. And the first word, this is the first word they have heard from God in years. And Haggai preaches four sermons to them. But they're not sermons of judgment like we've been looking at every other week this month. Like so many of his other prophets, fellow prophets, they're actually sermons of admonition. Sermons of promise. And that's why their message is perfect for us this morning. Two truths that I want us to walk through real briefly this morning. I'm trying to make my remarks brief, briefer than normal. Two truths, and the first one is this. Jesus is the glory that will never fade. Jesus is the glory that will never fade. To a people discouraged, to a people disappointed, grieving and longing for better, God sends His Word to heal, to comfort. And just as the people of Haggai's time need to be reminded of God's promises, you need to be reminded of the one whom John saw in the book of Revelation. The one whom he said this about in Revelation 1, verse 8. The Alpha and the Omega. Who is, who was, and who was, and who is to come. Let me read that verse because it's important. The Alpha and the Omega. Who is, who was, and who is to come. You see, glory is one of the central themes of the book of Haggai. We don't have time to go through all of it, but glory is what these people longed for. These people to whom Haggai spoke. And the glory that is spoken of here several times in that passage that I just read is the beauty and the weightiness of God's presence. That's what they ultimately longed for. Here they had allowed themselves, those who had returned to the land of promise, they had allowed themselves to be uprooted again that they might see the glory that was once displayed, that they might experience the presence that was once enjoyed, that they might worship their God Yahweh as He was to be worshipped. All of these things is what the temple was about, what the temple represented it. They longed for these things, but they simply weren't there when they returned. But we come to chapter 2, that passage that I just read, and the Lord reminds that a day is coming when all the treasures of the nation shall come in, when my house, says the Lord, will be filled with glory greater than before, and there will be peace. And the question is, the million dollar question is, when will this happen? Certainly the temple, the physical temple in Israel will be rebuilt Right? By the time of Jesus, by the time He comes to earth, we, we know there's a temple there. We hear about it in the stories. Herod built quite a nice temple structure, but it was nothing like it was. Nothing like it was in the days of Solomon. You see, real glory was coming. But it wasn't in these people's lifetime. These people that originally heard Haggai's words 
And it wasn't coming in the way that they expected. It was coming ultimately through the Son of God, through Jesus. And the question is immediately, but if this is not going to happen in their lifetimes, then why, why tell it? Why speak of these things? It's the power of hope. And in God's case, always in God's case, the power of certain hope. To a discouraged people, God says the same thing today. And that's what I want you to hear. Better is coming. The best is yet to come. How? Through the one who was and is and is to come. Let me frame those three phrases just briefly. Because as we think about Jesus as the glory that is unfading, as we think about the Jesus who was, a baby born in Bethlehem, a man who walked on this earth, a man who felt the grief we feel, His was an unassuming glory, wasn't it? An unassuming glory. You see, Christmas is a, Christmas is a paradox. We talk about glory, we talk about splendor, we talk about majesty, and, and yet what's the antonym of glory, the opposite of the word glory? Lowliness. The very word that describes the circumstances of his birth that Bryce read earlier. We say a stable, a feeding trough, a, a carpenter's home. This is glory. Yes. Isaiah, another prophet, will say in Isaiah 53.2, He had no form or majesty that we should look at Him, and no beauty that we should desire Him. And while the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of His hands, that's what Psalm 19 says, while the Shekinah glory, the physical manifestation in the wilderness, in the tabernacle, of the glory of God was there. They're mere shadows of the glory of God that has come in the person of Jesus. His entrance into this world was unassuming, yes, but His significance is unmatched. Which is why the glory, which is why the angels could cry, glory to God in the highest. More than anything, the glory of the Lord is not the, the shock and the awe that we think of. It's the manifestation of who He is. The manifestation that has come to earth in Jesus. The One who was unassuming. And the One who is. Not just is Jesus an unassuming glory, but His is an intimate glory. We've talked a little bit about this this month. See, the consolation of verses 4 and 5 in that passage I just read are so striking to me because I hear the Father's voice even as I remember my own voice to my children. I'm here. Don't worry. I'm not leaving. I'm not going anywhere. In the midst of this broken land and this rebuilding project for the people of God, they needed to be reminded that Yahweh hadn't left them, that His presence was real. 
And of course, the temple, the very things that they were striving to restore, gave them that assurance. The sights and the sounds and the smell and the word, it all reminded them of the one whom they constantly forgot. They would get back to that. But not in fullness and not like Jesus has brought to us. Because through Jesus, that veil in the temple has been torn in two. And we've been ushered into the Holy of Holies. We have boldness and confidence in the Lord. Abba, Father, is our cry. We're not standoffish. God is not standoffish. Through Jesus we come close and His Spirit is ours. His home is in us, in our midst and in our lives. Jesus said better was it for Him to go away that the Spirit could come and be this kind of presence. And so while Jesus' glory is unassuming, it's also intimate. It's with us. And boy, do we need it. But then finally, the Jesus who was, who is, and who is to come. The prophet talks about an earth-shaking glory here. The greater glory has become a reality in Jesus, but the greatest glory is still to come. It's still to come in His return. Because on that day, the glory that was unassuming when it first entered our world will be a glory for all to see. And so Haggai speaks of a shaking that is to come, an overthrow of kingdoms, of resulting peace, and of a signet ring, this this symbol of ultimate authority. Verse 23 might lead us to believe that it is Zerubbabel that will be at the helm when all of this happens. But Zerubbabel is just a figure in the line of promise. He's a descendant of David. He's an ancestor of Jesus. He's brought up in the lineage of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. You see, Zerubbabel's greater son, Jesus, is the one who will come with earth-shaking glory. So God is telling His people long ago and us here today that there remains a glory to come. The writer to Hebrews takes this passage, he filters it through Jesus and he applies it. Let me read chapter 12, verses 22 and following of the book of Hebrews. You have come to Mount Zion and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. He has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of all things that are shaken. That is, the things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Peter told the church to look forward to this day, to speed and pray for its coming. I read a quote this week from a pastor. Every time someone dies, it reminds those watching that God's work is not yet complete. 
But I proclaim to you this morning that it will be. Because Jesus is the unfading glory who was and is and is to come. So what do we, what do we take away as I close this morning? What do we take away? Well, first, I hope we take away hope. In the midst of grief, in the, the fog of our life, How many times does the Lord say through His prophet to be strong? Fear not. I am with you. I am coming again. And so I hope that you're built up this morning. But also, and this is the second truth that I want to end on this morning, simply this, Jesus is worth everything. Jesus is worth everything. See, death always brings us face to face with really what matters in life. What matters most? Is what you're building your life around really worth it? The call in verses 5 and 7 of our passage this morning is to consider your ways. That's what the Lord says. God told His people this in the day of Haggai, after they out of convenience, discouragement, lack of resources, or maybe simply laziness, they refused to seek first His kingdom and build His house and put their hands to His temple. And instead, they worked on their own stuff. Their own houses. Because we're all glory seekers. All of us seek glory. But it's our own glory that we naturally seek. And God says, look to me. See, the message of this book reminds us not only of the great glory of Jesus and what that means, That we can be strong because His presence is with us. That we can press on for there is a coming day of peace. But it also challenges our priorities. Is it our clothes? Is it our paneled houses? Is it our comfort that we're about? Is it it our agendas that we're about? Or is it His glory? Right? That first... Question and answer of the catechism of our church. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. This is a moment as you are reminded of the frailty of life, of your life. As the flip of the calendar happens this week and a new year stands before you. Are you going to make Jesus worth everything? Because brothers and sisters, life is full of disappointment. It's full of tragedy. But I'm telling you, the stories are true. They're not just stories. God's promises are true. And He's proved it in the sending of His Son, Jesus.
And so in a weekend filled with sorrow and confusion, as you flip and turn to joy tonight and tomorrow morning with your families, remember that the long-awaited glory has come and is coming again. There is no need to fear. He is the One who is, who was, and who is to come. Amen. Let's pray. Great Father in Heaven, we thank You for Your Word this morning. We thank You for the promises of the prophets that pointed far beyond the circumstances to whom they were spoken to, but point to the coming of Your Son. This season that we remember and, and celebrate. Oh Father, some of us need to recalibrate our lives. Some of us need to realign our priorities. Some of us for the first time before You return, Lord Jesus, in earth-shaking power and glory, some of us need to bow the knee. For who knows what tomorrow will bring. Father, we thank You that You have shown Yourself true. That You have shown Yourself faithful. And so Father, as we go from this place to our family gatherings, to our celebrations, plant these truths deep in our hearts. Use them to change us and to mold us and fashion us into the image of our Savior. We ask this in His name, by the power of His Spirit. Amen.